So what I think is really exciting about being able to carry around a copy of your data is that getting started on new adventures, whether it's joining a new community, joining a new company, or trying out a new app, can be even faster and easier for you. Just start here. All right, so 2023, what do you think of crypto? What is this crypto thing? How do you explain it? What is crypto now? GM Noob, and welcome to our show where a beginner is at the center of each episode. Web3, NFTs, crypto, Bitcoin, board apes, they're all becoming mainstream lingo. But what do they mean? And more importantly, why should you care? In GM Noob, we unpack Web3 and highlight use cases to get you started on your noob journey. Let's dig in. In today's episode, we have our guest expert, Evan, from Disco.xyz, who's going to be talking to us about decentralized ID, which is a topic that isn't easily digestible by the uninitiated. Luckily, we have our star noob, Sheena, along with us to ask Evan some questions and keep the conversation high level. Sheena, why don't we start with you? Can you tell us a bit about what you're working on right now? Sure. So I'm uh, Sheena Bolton. I am currently the program manager for K-12 Cyber Titan and Cyber Education Initiatives at the Information Communication Technology Council, which is a national not-for-profit in Canada. The main focus is trying to teach cybersecurity and cyber awareness to the youth across Canada. That's great. And so I'm going to ask you to think on your toes here, Sheena, and finish my sentence. So ownership of our digital ID is important because... We should always know where anything about us is on the internet. Okay, great. And with that, Evan, I'm going to ask if you can tell us a little bit about your new journey into Web3 and into digital ID, and then follow that up with a description of what Disco is and why a noob should care. Wonderful. Well, thank you guys so much for inviting me to hang out with you today, Sheena. I am so excited to meet you and really stoked to hear more about your vision for the future of folks who, of all ages, who feel responsible and confident in managing their data and their expression of self out in that digital world. So my journey in this universe began a little over a decade ago when I was an undergrad. I got really excited about the different ways that we can express ourselves in digital spaces. So you probably show up a little bit differently in World of War than you do on Twitter, than you do on Instagram, than you do on Facebook or 4chan even. Um, And so I was studying how people decide which parts of themselves to share in which different environments. And that's really when I learned, oh my gosh, when you start using a new service or application, you really start off by filling out a form. You create another duplicate set of information about yourself and, you know, exclusively for use inside of this particular app, but you can't bring it with you when you go anywhere else. When you create data inside of an app, um, you leave it there for the next time that you come back and they keep, they keep that copy of your data. So you hang out inside of an application, you spend all this time and energy looking at things and liking them and clicking them and viewing them, and you're producing this work product, this labor that constitutes your expression of data inside of that app, and you create all this value, and then you just leave it there. And then you walk away and they use that data to sell you ads later on or mess with how close you think you are to your friends on Instagram to get you to buy more stuff. And so that paradigm didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. In fact, Americans spend about 11 and a half billion hours a year filling out forms. And so I thought, gosh, there must be some better way. And then I kind of thought back to when I was a little kid uh, watching TV shows like The Jetsons, where these characters are able to show up in various different environments in their homes and their works and, you know, in school and public places. And the environment just 
seems to mold around them. So for example, Elroy, the little boy in the family, his, you know, his little space pod is able to leave his parents' big minivan space pod and dock at the school. But random strangers can't do that. And so there must be some identity system. There must be some way that we can show up in environments, both digital and physical, and receive a personalized experience based on the parts of ourselves that we choose to share. And so that is what led me to Web3, what led me down the path toward disco is this idea that maybe if we could own and control the data that describes us, our preferences for the world, our accomplishments, our identity, then maybe we could enjoy something like autofill for everything where instead of filling out forms when you join a new app, it is already able to read a copy of the data that you've brought to the table. It's able to tell that you're not a bot because you've done things all day that show that you're not a bot, from ordering a coffee to opening a door to getting on a Zoom call with friends just like this. You know, you might also be able to have preferences like light or dark mode or whether you want to share your full email address with a given website so that when you interact with a new app or a new service, it already knows your preset preferences for how you'd like to interact with the world. So what we're particularly excited about at Disco is enabling that ability for you to show up in any digital or physical environment and receive a personalized experience based on the parts of yourself that you choose to share. That means that you need to have a copy of this data about yourself to decide what you want to bring to the fore of any interaction. And so at Disco, we say that we build data backpacks. So just like your real backpack in physical space allows you to carry all the stuff that you need from one experience to another, from one environment to another, one country to another. Similarly, your data backpack with Disco allows you to create information about yourself, to stash a copy of it in your pack, and to bring it with you from one app to another, whether those apps are built on blockchains, they're regular apps that you get from the app store on your phone, physical spaces like parties or events, uh, or even smart contracts, so apps or code that can release money um, can still interact with this kind of data that you bring to the table. Because we believe that you are the same person, regardless of what name you're using for yourself, whether it's your email address, your Twitter handle, your Bitcoin address, your Ethereum address, you are that same person. You're just reflecting a different facet of yourself, kind of like a disco ball. We believe that you are the multifaceted center of the party, just as you are. So you should reflect your data and your identity to the world, however you decide. Whichever of your particularly shiny facets you want to reflect to the world, um, you're still going to be that same disco ball when you come to the party. I'm curious from a noob's perspective. So someone who uses Instagram regularly or Facebook, uh, but doesn't really think about the impact of using those tools, like the fact that those service providers are actually hanging on to all their data and they have control over it. What would you say to the, the general user to get them to become more aware or to be more curious about kind of the project that you're working on and, and the fact that they should pay more attention to the fact that they're not owners of their own data? So what I think is really exciting about being able to carry around a copy of your data is that getting started on new adventures, whether it's joining a new community, joining a new company, or trying out a new app can be even faster and easier for you. So rather than starting off every app experience by filling out a form that asks for your email address or your wallet address, your favorite color, your date of birth, how old you are, whatever those questions might be, instead, you can show up 
be able to autofill those preferences based on the data you already have about yourself. And instead of typing in a form, you are just able to proceed right into that adventure based on the permissions that you already have, based on the qualifications that you already have. So imagine you're joining a new community, like for example, Boys Club, which is a global community of women and non-binary people interested in Web3 and decentralized technologies. Rather than first signing up with an email address and then having to you know, sign up separately for their Discord channel, sign up separately to be able to access merchandise, go and try to fight with other people to get access to an NFT. Instead, you could receive a single membership credential. Put that membership credential in your data backpack and then use that credential like a, like a universal access control pass to that community. And that one credential that you're carrying in your data backpack, that piece of data that says you're a member of this community, you can use that to access the Discord channel, the Telegram chats, the merchandise on Shopify, content that's exclusively for your community, smart contracts or NFT mints that are exclusively for your community, event tickets or even physical spaces. So rather than having a separate journey to get linked into all these different parts of an organization, you just have a one-stop shop, you get your pass, and then that allows you to access physical spaces, applications, content, and more that's uniquely curated for your community. So the benefit here of being able to own your data is that you can do stuff with it. It becomes an access pass to shortcut the process of being able to participate in activities or get cool hats or whatever those different things your community wants you to do might be. So... You mentioned it on that, like I have multiple emails and honestly, I, I cater them for each thing. So I'm curious how that would work for a digital identity as one, because I am like, let's say four emails. So it depends on where they're headed. <laughs> that is a great question. And in fact, you know, there are so many names that you go by out in the world. There's your government name, your 18 right. email addresses, maybe a Bitcoin address, your social security number, your nickname that your grandma calls you, right? There are all of these different names that describe you. But for purposes of the digital world, the names that describe you that are going to be most useful are the ones that you can prove that you own. So for example, you can tweet a special message from your Twitter that proves that you own that account. You can click a link that you receive in your email to prove that you own that email address. And so if you think of each email address, each address, each name that you go by, kind of like different facets on your disco ball, you're the same mm -hmm. person because you can prove that you own all of those names. And so let's say, you know, one of your email addresses, one of your Ethereum addresses, one of your Bitcoin addresses has some data related to it, right? It has, um, let's say, your proof that you're part of the Boys Club community. You should be able to prove that you're part of the Boys Club community, regardless of which name you're bringing to the table, regardless of which email address you use, you are still a member of that community. And so what Disco allows you to do is to bring your data backpack with you to every single one of your interactions, regardless of which name you're using, and then to selectively pull out of your backpack only those pieces of information about yourself that you want to share for that particular interaction. So for example, if I want to access, uh, let's say, you know, 18 plus content, you don't need to know the date of my birthday. You just need to know that I fit the qualifications to enter your application or enter your content. And so being able to decide which parts of yourself you want to share and, you know, disclosing the minimum amount of information about yourself required to get through that, get through that interaction. That's really the name of the game here. Awesome. And then I guess the other question is kind of related to security on that. So people get nervous when they get in, someone gets into an email and then it's all scary. If What would you say for someone when all everything's in one, in theory, in this backpack? What kind of steps have been taken or things you can tell someone who might be worried about that? That's a great question. So the fun 
fundamental layer of security that your data backpack has is called public key cryptography. So this technology capability was developed in the 1970s and is basically born out of the sort of defense universe. And it's a way for anybody to be able to write a message to you that only you can open. Only the holder of what's called a private key is going to be able to open the message that's destined just for you, just for your address. And so every single piece of information about you is encrypted so that only your private key can open it and stored in a censorship-resistant fashion. And so basically what this means is that access to simple things like your access to identifiers like your email address or your Twitter handle are not going to compromise access or integrity of that data. So it is going to be patched up so only Sheena can open it with her keys. And so when we talk about your keys, actually, we're getting into this sort of Web3 world here where you have a wallet. So this allows you to own Bitcoin, Ethereum, tokens, NFTs, that kind of stuff. It's similar to, it feels a little bit like your Apple wallet, but instead of that infrastructure being provided by Apple and Apple having the ability to intervene, it's owned and controlled only by you. So it's like an Apple wallet, but it's just you. Apple doesn't actually have any access. And so you might have heard of applications like MetaMask or Coinbase wallet that offer these capabilities, but um, it's usually a native application or browser extension that's gonna allow you to own and control tokens. So you use the very same security that underpins your ownership of a Bitcoin, of an NFT in your wallet, is going to be the same technical security that allows you to own the data and your data backpack. In fact, it's the very same keys. So we like to say, you know, thinking about physical objects here, that your wallet is for your financial data, just like your physical wallet holds money and credit cards and things like that. But, you know, just like you can stick your wallet inside of your backpack and carry it around with you, similarly, your data backpack extends the capabilities of your keys so that you can own and control more than just money. You can own and control any kind of data, secure it with the same keys you use to handle your Bitcoin or your NFTs, throw it in your data backpack, and then you can run through the metaverse from app to app into physical space and back, knowing that all of your data is secured using this public key cryptography. Disco itself, is it an app? Is it a web-based? I'm assuming it has multiple facets, but what, uh, what kind of program is it, I guess? Yes, Disco is a web app. So we allow you to bring your own keys. So you bring your wallet to the party. So if you already have a browser extension that's a wallet, you just visit our website, click that connect wallet button with one click as you would normally another web free application. And then you're off to the races. Just feels like using a regular website. And then this allows you to uh, create these pieces of verifiable data, these credentials, kind of like a digital form of the plastic identification cards we have in our wallets. And you can send them to your friends. You could, I could send a credential to you that says I vouch for you because we've been on this awesome call together and have this wonderful discussion. I could send you a GM credential. So this is like slipping a Facebook style poke into your data backpack saying GM, hello, good morning. And so we also have other kinds of credentials like personal presets. So my preference for light or dark mode, my preferred t-shirt size, my pronouns, my primary language. So when I throw those preferences, those little credentials into my backpack, every time I go and visit an app, it's able to read those and set my personal preferences to the way that I experience that website or service. It sounds like one for noobs or for the general public, one really huge value add is obviously speeding everything up, right? So being able to not have to fill out a million forms and, and all of that, which is huge. I, You know what? It drives me crazy when I have to enter my phone number and my email address and my birth date in some cases, you know, on, on exchanges and things like that, because we're giving away sensitive data to all of these sites who then have to 
We're giving them the responsibility of securing our data on their servers, which we know they don't handle that responsibility very carefully because there's often high profile data breaches that we hear about on the news all the time. So that seems to me like a really big value add. From a a day-to-day perspective, where do you see Disco coming in for the general user? Like, would you take the Disco app and plug it into Facebook or Instagram? Or how does Disco play with Web2 apps? So Disco, I think, is fundamentally a decentralized data universe, not even just a Web3 app. So because we allow you to carry around copies of the data that describes you, it doesn't really matter where that data comes from whether it's web two or web three. In fact, most of the data that describes you as a person already exists and lives in the world of web two. It just hasn't been packed up in a form that you can carry around. So for example, your driver's license, your credentials that you're cleared if you participate in the clear sort of uh, you know air travel pre-check process, TSA pre-check, your blue check mark from Twitter if you were verified before they started selling those uh, accolades. And so there are these pieces of information about us that are very useful to us in a single context, but they're not poor enough to be really useful for us. So for example, you could imagine that if I am able to take custody of a credential that says I'm a member of Clear, which is that sort of airport security screening service, that means that I'm not a bot because a bot cannot be a member of Clear. So if I'm able to bring that credential with me to a variety of apps, it doesn't matter what the app is, it knows that I'm not a bot. So it doesn't have to ask me to fill out a CAPTCHA. You can imagine that being able to remove little pieces of friction like this in our everyday interactions could be really beneficial. Whether we're trying to cop a sick pair of sneakers that just got dropped on some new site that often you know, is, is addressed with bot armies, or whether we're trying to get an under-collateralized loan in crypto and we otherwise don't have a good way to show our creditworthiness. And so Disco's data backpack will allow you to take custody of whatever data you would like that describes you, whether that's the number of Twitter spaces you've showed up for in your community to prove that you're an active community member, whether that's your credit score to prove your credit worthiness, whether renting a new apartment or seeking a line of additional resources for your business, whether it's proof that you're the number one fan of an artist because you can prove you've collected little proofs that you've gone to a bunch of their shows, you've joined their Discord stages, you've purchased their merchandise, you've minted their NFTs, you have pre-saved their songs, you have shared their content on social. And so creating a verifiable reputation will make all of this so much easier for us in the Web2 space. Yeah, so I guess uh, people who aren't super tech savvy, how would they get involved or what would the perks be to use this application? So right now we are building out the capability to welcome folks who aren't yet ready to manage their own crypto wallets and who are really comfortable with that username and password flow that they've grown accustomed to. So we are really excited to be able to introduce that experience in the coming months. And so what that will allow you to do is start uh, experiencing a data backpack to take custody of credentials that describe you and use them in a limited way so that you can start to feel comfortable with this new kind of interaction, uh, but you don't yet have to manage more of the technical complexity. Now, when you're ready to take a step up and you're ready to, let's say, carry your credentials from one app to another, Disco will help you take custody of your very own keys. And so it's kind of like taking the training wheels off, taking the the bumpers out of the bowling lane where you're going to be able to carry those credentials from one app to another. And then if you're ready for the next big step up, then you can do what's called funding your wallet or connect your bank account, buy some crypto and put money into that wallet. But we see this sort of 
progressive decentralization or this sort of learning journey as starting off with a username and password, interacting with apps just like you do normally, getting really comfortable with this new kind of interaction, then taking custody of your keys, getting your driver's license for Web3, if you will, and getting ready to drive your very own credentials and data from one app to another. And then when you take that first drive, you get comfortable with it, you start doing a little bit more, and then we can layer in, then you can then you can sort of upgrade or intensify that experience by adding in things like tokens and NFTs to the assets that you carry around with you. But we think it's really important to start off um, comfortably meeting folks where they are now, regardless of the level of their understanding of the technical complexity underneath. And in fact, my hope is that the benefit of these technologies will not require us to talk about the protocols underneath. Sheena and I are having a wonderful conversation right now, and not once have we talked about TCPIP or HTTPS or any of the protocols that are underlying the Zoom software that we're using to talk to one another. So similarly, I think that data backpacks will be able to provide provide experiences that just work. We need things that do stuff. We don't have to talk about the data packets flying underneath unless we think that's particularly fun. It's time for a noob interlude. What is all the hype around NFTs? NFT stands for non-fungible token. It is a unique and indivisible digital asset that is verified on a blockchain network. NFTs allow people to own and trade one-of-a-kind digital items such as art, music, and even tweets. They are revolutionary because they provide a way to prove digital ownership and authenticity, which was previously difficult to do. NFTs are really exciting because they have the potential to create new revenue streams for creators and artists and could transform the way we think about digital ownership and the value of digital assets. Learning about Web3 and crypto can be confusing and overwhelming. The problem is that entering into the world of Web3 feels foreign, and it seems like there's a new scam every day. That's why GM Noob is offering an exclusive course for beginners. What's unique about this course is that each block of learners will leverage their peers to create a chain of knowledge and trust that extends beyond static learning modules. With each new topic, you will learn together and benefit from your collective efforts. No deposit, no return. Blocks of learners are limited to 24 participants. So register today for season one, block one, at linktr.ee slash gmnoob, or have a look in the show notes for more info. And then I don't know a ton about decentralizing technology. So could you maybe elaborate a little bit more on that for people who might not know exactly what that is? Absolutely. So. When we use a service or a tool that's provided by a company, we are trusting that company to keep doing what they're doing so that we can rely on that service. For example, when we trust Experian to hold copies of our credit scores, we're trusting them to keep that data protected, to share it with the right folks at the right time, and to make sure that it's going to be available to us when we need it. You know, as we discussed earlier in this conversation, often companies that manage our data don't do a super job with keeping it protected. And sometimes they'll even use it for purposes that we didn't explicitly allow them to. So if we think about Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and past presidential elections in the United States, or, you know, even the use of public data to prosecute political dissidents in other parts of the world. And so when we rely on a service provider, an intermediary, a middleman, we're giving them a whole lot of trust. 
Now, decentralization allows us to basically bring more transparency into a single point of potential failure. So let's say um, in data storage, if we have all of our data stored in one place, what happens if the servers in that one building where all the data is stored catch fire? Oh no, the data has been centralized to one physical space. It has been harmed. It's no longer accessible. But what if instead of storing the data in one place, what if we made a copy of it? What if we had two copies of it in two separate buildings? We'd be sort of decentralizing it so there's no single point of failure, no single place where a person could intervene or a fire could intervene or an emergency could intervene to harm our ability to have a resilient system. So if we have two copies of that data, that's more decentralized. It diminishes our amount of risk. What if we have a thousand copies of that data? In fact, what if we have a thousand copies of that data and every different copy is kept by a different person and everybody raises their hand to check in with one another periodically to make sure everyone's keeping the same notes? And once we have a whole bunch of different people who are all keeping track of the same set of information, making sure to check with one another so that they keep the same numbers, then that becomes what we call censorship resistant. So no single person keeping one of these copies of the list can decide that they want to write down a different number than everybody else because it's not going to match. And therefore we know, hey, this person's out of line. So no party can censor or modify the data if we're all keeping an eye on one another. So decentralization helps us to diminish a risk of censorship. It helps us to diminish a risk of potential harm or like if something sets on fire, it just you know manages our ability to keep going. And also when we think about decentralization, you know, sort of breaking things apart from a single point of failure, if we decentralize the data that describes us as humans such that we as individuals carry around a copy ourselves, that decentralized data is going to be really portable if it can move from one place to another. So it's going to be really useful to us. When data is centralized and, you know, stored in one place, accessible in only one place, maybe by even only one provider, we can't pick it up and move it with us. And so it can't do work for us. We can't reuse it somewhere else. And so decentralization is sort of at the core of what we think about at Disco. How can we make your data optimally useful to you? How can we protect it from potential harm and misuse? And how can we make sure that you are getting the most efficiency at living your life and going on your adventures as you possibly can? In a practical sense, do you envision Disco being like a sign into Facebook with Disco kind of situation or say I'm, I'm going to use a new app? Would I sign in with Disco and then all those credentials would be there? Or how do you see Disco becoming integrated with the apps that we use every day? So at Disco, we are building for a future where we invert the internet, where data is stored around the people that it describes and not in the ivory towers of the apps that wish to turn them into products. So you will not sign in with Disco to Facebook because when Disco is done, Facebook will not exist and Mark Zuckerberg will not be able to afford his mortgage. But until then, your ability to show up to any application or service, to call on your data backpack and to share the parts of yourself that you would like to for that particular interaction, that is absolutely the vision forward. So it's not just sign in with Disco, it's show up with Disco. Disco can be the first point of entry into an application, or you can call the Disco API and pull your data backpack uh, associated with whatever other name you're using to log in or show up, whether that's an email address, your Twitter handle, your Discord handle, your website, et cetera, et cetera, you know, your PGP key in the future. And so 
we very much believe in this seamless future where instead of clicking a whole bunch of permissions every time you go to a website, you can have a preset of how you would like to interact with the world that gets expressed on every website, in every app, in every physical space. So this really flips the way that we use the internet and the way that we use apps on its head, in a sense. So essentially, you're seeing a future where the internet and app providers are going to have to restructure because of the demand for people to want to have ownership over their own data and to not have to fill in a million forms. You see apps that are being developed where they're no longer trying to store our data, but that they're allowing the users to hang on to their own data and are still providing a service. Is that, am I hearing that correctly? Or can you course correct me on that? Absolutely. Yes, that is the vibe. So data-less apps are a new paradigm that are being made possible by the idea of having individuals own their own data bring them to the app experience, use them inside of their app session, and then take that data with them when they leave. So what we envision here and what is now made possible is having applications that are that sort of mold their the experience they provide to the data that you bring to their front door, but don't retain that data when you leave. So the moat of new decentralized applications will be how good is the user experience, how valuable is the service, not how much of your data can they hoard so that it's a pain in the ass to try to use something else, which right now is the way that Web2 applications are built, that it is just such a nightmare to switch into a new service that you remain trapped in the environment where you've spent the most time. So we were talking earlier about how it's a real pain for apps to take your data the way they do now on account of it takes a lot of space. Data takes up room and that data needs to go somewhere to sleep at night. And so that means you got to rent space for it. That means you got to insure it. You got to protect it, that there's a landlord that's managing the physical real estate on which those servers are sitting, that you are monitoring the physical safety of that space, that you're paying for the electricity to run that building. There's a lot of costs and complexity there. And additionally, there are these new laws like GDPR and CCPA, GDPR in the EU, CCPA in California. There are a few other flavors as well. These laws that basically say you're allowed to, if you're protected by these laws, you're allowed to contact any company, ask what data of yours they have, ask them how they're using it, and ask them to delete it. And if you have hundreds of millions, even billions of users, these requests are very costly to comply with because your data vacuum app was not built to remove individual people's data. It was built as a, you know, a giant vacuum to suck in as much data from as many people as possible to mix together to create useful insights and not to parse it apart and individually remove the data about single users. And so the cost of complying with new data privacy laws, the expense of storing and protecting and managing this data is creating an economic disincentive for the traditional app model that we've grown accustomed to where apps just want to vacuum in as much data as they can. Instead, apps are thinking, oh man, I could save on security and insurance and all of these other services. And I could diminish the risk and responsibility that I have handling all this really sensitive data, but I can still provide a personalized experience that relies upon that data. How cool is that? And so new new evolutions in zero-knowledge capabilities, things like the noir language for our friends at Aztecs, sorry, it's a little, little jargony, but basically these new superpowers will allow an app to interact with your data backpack when you bring it to the party, use only the data that's required without sharing more than is necessary, so we're not oversharing at all, 
And then you still enjoy your normal personalized app experience as you would traditionally. And now it's time for a new history lesson. Ethereum was created in 2015 by a team led by Vitalik Buterin. The invention of Ethereum was an important event because it introduced several key innovations that made it possible to build decentralized applications on a blockchain network. Prior to Ethereum, most blockchain networks were primarily designed for the transfer of a single type of asset, such as Bitcoin. Ethereum, on the other hand, introduced the concept of smart contracts, which allowed developers to create and execute a wide range of different types of transactions and operations on the blockchain. This opened up the possibility of creating decentralized applications, or dApps, that could be used for a wide range of purposes, from financial applications like decentralized exchanges and lending platforms to gaming and social media applications. Groovy. So it sounds like there's an incentive on the other side as well, because I guess my immediate reaction was the tech companies or the startups won't want to sign up for this because their incentives are all lined around hoarding our data. But you're saying that, yes, it may be, or what I'm hearing is that, yes, it may be that the big tech companies, the ones that have uh, like the biggest market share right now, probably won't. But for a startup, it's a lot leaner to position it so that they don't have to store data. They just customize it around your data backpack, as you're saying, because they don't have to be responsible for all the legal implications and the storage and all of that stuff, right? Most definitely. And I would also say that a lot of small and medium-sized businesses that are already in business going strong are looking at this as an opportunity to get rid of a bunch of their costs and risk. I've heard you comment about the oversharing of information. And I love that. I think that's a strong use case and a strong value propositions for people to really consider using an app like Disco. Can you elaborate on the oversharing and, and give some of your analogies around how we overshare today? For sure. So in a very simple way, imagine, you know, in the United States, you're going to visit a bar establishment that shares there that, that serves alcohol. In the US, you need to be 21 years old in order to enter that establishment. So usually the way that you go about doing that is that you walk up to a bouncer and you hand them your ID. And in doing that, you're giving them your eye color, your height, the street that you live on, your zip code, your weight, all this kind of information that has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not you have the requirements to enter that establishment. So you can imagine that with a data backpack, instead of sharing all of that information about yourself, you could walk up to the front of that bar and just get a green check mark or a thumbs up. Your data fits the requirements of this establishment. Come on in. Now, the, our concerns over data privacy laws are really not, you know, hinged on whether or not the bouncers of America are going to be distributing our data. But you can imagine that a very similar kind of action happens every time that you interact with an application or service. This becomes even more of a concern or something for us to, you know, think about the consequences of when we talk about a public blockchain. So earlier, remember, we were talking about how it was so great that we could be censorship resistant if we had a whole bunch of different people keeping track of data all at the same time and checking in with each other to make sure that they all have the same information. Now, the way that they're able to do that, which incidentally is basically how blockchain works, <laughs> if we, if we you know, really simplify it down, but the way they're able to check one another's work to check the data that they're all keeping track of is that that data is public. So if you put data on a public blockchain, it is more public than a billboard in Times Square. Right. So if we think of the range of different ways that we can share our data, we could put data, you know, information about ourselves. We can we could put that in our diary. Right. That's known only to us, private to us. It's kind of similar to putting that data in your data backpack. It's secret to you and you alone. Then you get to decide how you want to share it. 
then maybe a little bit more public would be, you know, posting on your social media. So your followers can see it and that, you know, that social media platform that you're using can also see it. A little bit bigger than that might be publishing something in the New York Times so that all of the subscribers of the New York Times and everyone who interacts with a physical copy is able to see it. Even bigger than that is, you know, putting it on a billboard in Times Square so everyone in that physical space can see it. Even bigger than that is putting it on a public blockchain so everyone on Earth and in space with an internet connection for all time can see that data. So when we think about the information that describes us as human beings, we often don't really need everyone on Earth and in space to see it. We probably don't need everyone in Times Square to see it. In fact, we probably don't need an entire enterprise to see it either. And so when we overshare our data, we are giving away valuable information about ourselves that we could be using for our own benefit. And when we give that data away, we have no ability to control how it gets used later. One of the really exciting opportunities that we have here is to introduce data backpacks to folks of all ages because there's no financial requirement there. Anybody can have a data backpack and own and control their achievements, their qualifications, and things like that. One of the really cool examples that I've seen for young learners actually comes from Lego. Um, they've built out the skills wallet that allows young learners as young as five years old to complete different educational modules and to receive credentials in their very own little data backpacks that prove that they have accomplished different parts of the curriculum. So when we think about you know, sort of education as a whole, uh, it's really difficult to capture proofs of your achievement other than big things like diplomas. But the fact that you completed a homework assignment is valuable. The fact that you've completed a semester is valuable. The fact that you've completed the fifth grade is valuable. And so allowing young learners to be able to collect their achievements, both in school and outside of school, can really help them not only to behold the totality of their accomplishments and to feel pride in their new knowledge, but also to build up that expertise so they can prove to others. So you can imagine 10 years down the line, if a young learner has been doing um, smart contract development courses like crypto zombies that are appropriate for younger folks, um, and they've played around with, uh, with new kinds of coding tools in their free time, they should be able to demonstrate that aptitude alongside their academic achievements formally when they apply for an internship or when they apply to college. And so as we have even more and more non-traditional ways of learning, I think it's important that young folks be able to encompass and prove those kinds of learning, even if they happen, you know, outside of the classroom. So as a follow-up to that, then I would assume I'm assuming that kind of the parents would take the ownership on at the beginning, considering, you know, children of five can't really own too much. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Parental consent is critical. And especially in the United States, you know, I think about laws like COPPA and COPA that protect um, young people on the internet. It's really important for us to not only involve parental consent, but also rigorous guardrails around that experience all the way through. So one of the things that I think is really cool about data backpacks, as we were talking about earlier, you can have things like a proof of age. So if you don't have a proof of age that, you know, indicates that you are of age to interact with certain content, then that door simply won't open for you. And so I think that an interesting way for us to manage age-related content moderation is that young folks will not have that proof of age. Older folks will. And so then we uh, we sort of create guardrails where it's not that, you know, young folks need to elect using good judgment to stay away from bad content. It's that they are content that's not appropriate for them to interact with rather, but rather they simply do not have the ability to access it. Do you see any um, interest from learning institutions around this? Like I can think of, I'm a former teacher and I can think of this being really applicable to school districts and uh, anyone who is trying to navigate having their students learn online to have that 
information protected and not rely on, you know, a Google, for example, because all of the information is going through Google apps, not having to rely on that, but having the custody be held by the parents, essentially, and not even the school district having to hang on to that data. I'm, I'm wondering if you've had any conversations in that space. Absolutely. Yes. Actually, one of the collab- long, long-standing collaborations with Disco that we're very proud of is our work with the Verifiable Credentials Educational Working Group with the World Wide Web Consortium. Those are the, the folks that run the internet. Um, and so we're really excited to be working with institutions of all sizes, from grade schools and public school districts to private schools to public university systems to discuss how we can issue credentials of learning and achievement, both at the diploma level and at sort of more, um, more granular kinds of achievement and academic accolades. So one thing that I think is particularly cool about this is allowing students to uh, collect you know, these kinds of achievements and to share them when they apply for internships. Um, so this is one, one thing where we've seen, or one area where we've seen a lot of enthusiasm from institutions. However, another really cool thing is that there are a lot of professors who are individually experimenting with these kinds of things. So we've got a whole bunch of friends um, who are at you know law schools and undergrad institutions who are just interested in being able to issue credentials of achievement for simply their class so they can show the rest of the university what that looks and feels like. So one of the really awesome things that we've also seen is that there are a lot of blockchain clubs at universities that want to be able to issue membership credentials to those students to show that they've spent their time outside of school participating in this community. Um, I'm going to ask you, Sheena, I'm going to put you, uh, ask you to think on your toes here and just covering the topic of ownership of digital ID and all of the information. There's a lot to digest, but I'm going to challenge you to rearticulate some of the things that stood out for you and some of the points that Evan taught us about today. Sure. So the way I see it, Disco is, I'm going to use the backpack term because that was used a few times, but it's allowing yourself and your personality and your everything preferences and just information to be with you and be controlled by you while you go to the internet or different apps, as opposed to constantly having to fill everything out new every time you sign up for be it a website or an app, et cetera. And then that also allows you to keep everything safe in your own side. So safe for you, knowing where everything is located. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do you have anything to add to that, Evan, or to course correct on that uh, description? I think that that was an outstanding description. Thank you so much, Sheena. I would just add that kinds of data you can put in your data backpack are limited only by your imagination and the imagination of those that you engage with. And so whether it's a copy of your driver's license, your transcript, your membership in a community, proof that you have hiked the whatever, seven tallest mountains in the state of Maine, whatever those those achievements or accomplishments are, you have the ability to carry around a copy of them, whether they're statements you write about yourself or statements that others write about you. Right. So digital, physical, there's no limitation to what you can store in your data backpack. I love your visualization around disco and it's a party. And the more we have our own information, then we can bring our true selves to the party. That's amazing. So Evan, for our listeners and for Sheena, if someone wanted to get more information on your project and on decentralized digital identity, where would they go? You can always visit us on Twitter at DiscoXYZ. You can join our private beta there and get your very own data backpack. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and greatest with the Disco, you can always visit us at Disco.XYZ too. We have a form on our website where we would love to hear about your dreams for the metaverse so they can come true. You can always find me on Twitter at Proven Authority as well. 
Amazing. And I'll wrap that up with your visualization of the Jetsons. I think that future idea where we walk into a place and our environments adapt to us and we are not servants to the technology, but the technologies are servants to us is a beautiful visualization. And I thank you so much, both of you, Sheena and Evan, for your time today. And I really think that there's a lot of great learning here for individuals who are new to Web3 and new to uh, digital identity. Phenomenal. Well, thank you guys so much for hanging out with me today. This has been an absolute delight. We'll definitely have to issue some credentials for both me and Sheena to prove that we were on this podcast together here today. And I'm so excited to see y'all in the metaverse. Thank you so much. Thank you. GM Noob, and thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the ride. You can support this podcast by telling your friends, subscribing, and liking every episode. This will help us tremendously. Everything you've heard is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing we've said is financial advice. Please remember NYK NYC, not your keys, not your crypto. Be safe out there.